So we'll talk more about that. All right, let's take our Bibles this evening and let's dive right into our Bible study, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, all right? And uh, Galatians chapter 4, as we're still going through the book of Galatians together on Wednesday evenings, and I hope this book has been encouragement to you. It is to me. It's increased my faith and grounded my faith more in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary. And it's just kind of solidified more and more that salvation, again, is by grace, yes, but through faith and nothing else. Uh, no man is saved by keeping good works. No man is saved by keeping rituals and, law and, and rules. And no man is saved by keeping the law. Paul made that very plain through the book of Galatians. It is by faith. It is by putting your faith, your trust, your confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for this little book of the Bible. So let's look, look back into it this evening, Galatians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be in verse 19 through 31. At least that's what we'll read. And uh, I'm probably going to be stuck at verses 19 and 20, all right? And I don't want to hurry through the books of the Bible. And uh, I, don't, I don't try not to anyway. But, uh, but that's where we'll be this evening is those two verses primarily. And so as you come to these verses in, in, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 through 20, I'm sorry, through 31, uh, keep in mind as we come here, the overall bird's eye view of this book. Keep in mind that Paul is addressing these believers that were in the region of Galatia. And the very, very uh, first verses of this book of the Bible, he says, unto the churches, plural, that are in Galatia. So there's many churches here in this region, therefore many Christians. But it's in this region that false teachers have come to this area called Judaizers, and they've begun to teach a false gospel, as Paul says, another gospel. And this is a false gospel of adding works to the finished work of Christ. The Judaizers were trying to uh, put upon these believers in Galatia the law, trying to impose upon them that they must keep the Sabbath. They've got to keep certain days. They've got to keep certain rituals. They've got to keep certain uh, diet, uh, dietary laws and that kind of thing in order to gain more grace from God, or in order to be more holy, or in order to be really saved. That's what they're trying to impose upon these Galatian believers here in, in this book. So Paul, knowing what's going on, knowing the false gospel that they're spreading, and knowing the chaos that's going on in the hearts and minds of these dear people he loves, sits down with pen in hand and begins to very sternly yet very compassionately Defend and declare the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That again, it is by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. And so he's defending the true gospel. And as we come to Galatians chapter 4, we see and have seen for quite some time now, Paul is giving some interrogations. He is giving several, several questions to these believers. And I, I believe also it's not just to Galatians, but hoping these questions get over to the Judaizers as well, all right? So he's questioning the Galatians, yes, but I think he's also questioning the Judaizers. But questioning what they believe and why they believe them and, and, and questioning how they believe because it determines their behavior. I mean, remember, that our belief determines our behavior, all right? Keep that in mind. But he's questioning them over, over these things, over their doctrine. And he's questioning them on, on their matter of their own salvation, how they got saved. It wasn't through the law, but it was through faith, again, through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so he's trying to defend the gospel, and he's trying to, through interrogations, defend the gospel, and through this, trying to instruct them in the right way to go. So that's what he's doing. So let's continue looking at his interrogations and his instruction as we find it in Galatians chapter 4. Let's start in verse number 19, all right? Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 19, the Bible says, the Bible says this. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Meaning, do you not understand, do you not read and understand what you've been, been taught? Another question, interrogation. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, or Hagar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. It answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, that saith, or what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the freedwoman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the truth, that, which is this book that we hold in our laps right in the very front of us. And I pray that you to help us, Lord, to understand it better. Apply it to our lives this evening. Open our eyes and may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, speak to us personally. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, this evening, I just have three quick points to give you. And we're not getting past the first one, all right? But if you want to write down, if you want to write down the three points that we'll see from verses 19 down through 31 is this, all right? Number, point number one, we'll see Paul's affection or attitude uh, towards the Galatians, all right? And then we will see the allegory that he gives, and then we'll see the application that he gives. That's the three simple points. But we're not going to get past the first one this evening, okay? Again, I don't want to hurry through it because I want to explain it and try to get understanding of it and apply it to our life, okay? But let's look at this first one this evening and uh, as Paul's affection toward the Galatians. Now, we already know, we already know the affection or really lack thereof uh, that he has towards, towards those that were preaching a false gospel. We already know the attitude that he has to these false teachers, these Judaizers. Now, we know his affection, his attitude, his outlook to these individuals because we saw it as we discovered it in the first few verses of this letter, of this book of the Bible. We read his affection to them when we see this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that we have received, let him be accursed. 
So we understand the attitude that Paul has, the outlook that Paul has towards these Judaizers, towards any individual really who would be willingly, who would willingly pervert the pure gospel of Christ. Anyone who would willingly deny the Lord. Here's his outlook. Here's his attitude towards those type of individuals. He says this, let them be accursed. Literally, he was saying, I'm not trying to be rude or crude. Literally, when he was saying, let them be accursed, he's saying, let them go to hell. That's what he is saying. He's not being foul when he says that. He's being very stern because he knows the seriousness of true gospel and true salvation. He's saying, let them be accursed. Now, some may say that's an awful thing or, uh, for Paul to say, or it's very, at least very strong for him to say, but he knew this. Understand, Paul knew that Jesus was more than enough for the salvation of the whole world. He knew that Jesus was more than enough. He said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Paul knew this. He knew that Jesus was enough for all the world to be saved. Anyone to ever add to that or subtract from the Lord Jesus, from his finished work or from the gospel, he knew, he knew the individual would be saying this. Well, Jesus is not enough. You've got to do this as well. You've got to add the, add the law to your life as well because Jesus is not enough. So Paul saying, any man that would do that, let them be accursed. We already know his attitude. That's his attitude toward those individuals. But understand something. When they were doing this, they were saying, listen, Jesus is not enough. But understand, Jesus is more than enough. There is nothing more we could do than what Christ has already done. Jesus is enough. So anybody that would add to or subtract from it, let them be accursed. That's what Paul said. That's what the scripture says. So we know the attitude that Paul has to false teachers. We know the attitude that Paul has to these Judaizers here. But what's his attitude or affection toward the Galatian believers? Even though they are being drawn away, they're being led astray, they really are, uh, they're, they're being turned, at least looking at another gospel, as he said in Galatians 1, verse 6 and 7. Uh, they're being led away, drawn away, maybe being drawn away by the flash-in-the-pan personality that these Judaizers had. Uh, no doubt they had a lot of pizzazz about them. They were very charismatic in their presentation. Uh, very good uh, speakers, silver t sil unlike me, silver-tongued. Uh, they are very good in their, in their presentation, no doubt. And they are being drawn away by their personality. And it would seem, as they are being drawn away, that they are being drawn away to these individuals and away from Paul, yes, away from Jesus, yes. And it would seem that they are also... Painting Paul as, well, the enemy. They're painting him as the enemy. We saw this last time, and at least in this verse, verse 16, in, our, in chapter 4, verse 16, you can see it there in front of you, where it says this, and Paul's saying, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You see, they've begun to believe these false teachers, and they think that Paul, well, he's wrong, and therefore he is my enemy because he is wrong. And so surely as their affection has changed toward Paul, you would think that Paul's affection, his attitude, would begin to change toward them. But what's his attitude now? What's his attitude now? Let me ask you this. If someone 
who was uh, <clears throat> near and dear to you and um, you cared for and a good friend at one time, yet they consider you, consider you an enemy, what would your attitude be towards them? If someone who was at one time a friend, you didn't do anything to change that relationship, but maybe somebody else got in their ear and talked about it being friends with you, whatever, I don't know, going back to your middle school days. You know, that's what I think about that stuff. It's stupid. Can I say that in church? Anyway, that's dumb, okay? It's ridiculous. But think back. Maybe, maybe it's happened to you. I don't know. But think, what would you do if someone who was close to you and all of a sudden they consider you wrong and an enemy? What would your attitude or affection be toward them? Would you still try to help them out? Would you still try to be a blessing to them if you could? Or just mark them off and let them go their, go their own way kind of thing? You know, an eye for an eye, you know. But what would you do? It's hard to say exactly what we, what we might do, but we do know what Paul did here. We know what Paul's attitude and affection was towards these individuals. Though they may have lost their affection towards him a little bit, it's being to wane at the very least, his affection has not waned one bit. Look again at verse number 19. My little children. Of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Look, as I read these two verses here, you can see, or at least try to picture in your mind, the affection that Paul has for these individuals. Now, now we know he is grieved and heartbroken and burdened for them, and, and no, one would, no one would blame him for just, just marking them off and Go to the next city, go back to Corinth or go back to Ephesus or whatever where you're wanted in love. No one, would, well, no one would blame him, but we still see that he still loves these dear people. We can see that in this way. Number one, we see it in his delicate spirit toward them. In his delicate spirit toward them. Even though Paul was deeply concerned for them, greed for the error of their way, the error that they were believing grieved over this, please know he still had a delicate spirit towards these individuals. He was still tender. He was still caring and tender towards these people. He addressed them this way again. Look at verse 19. My little children. My little children. This is a very tender and uh, very precious and intimate, really, uh, uh, phrase here. My little children. Uh, this phrase is used in the New Testament, and it would come from a loving teacher who would kindly address their students. Maybe their students a little rowdy, but they would kindly address them in that rowdiness, right? But there, it shows their care and concern and affection towards, towards them. Understand, even though Paul does not agree with, with what's going on, does not agree with them turning towards another gospel, uh, though he is grieved with and upset with, understand he's still tender. He was still kind, even if they were not. He was going to be kind. Again, Paul knew something. He knew that if he addressed them as a drill instructor the whole time, then he would drive them further into the arms and lies of the Judaizer. He would drive them further away. If he addressed them as a, but if he addressed them as a stern parent yet loving parent or a tender teacher, then maybe, maybe they would respond more favorable to that kind of spirit a delicate, tender spirit. I'm going to tell you that truth that is wrapped up in a kind spirit will be always more received than if it comes from a harsh spirit, all right? 
Always. Always. Now, this does not mean we water down the truth in order to not hurt someone's feelings. We're not doing that. I'm not, not suggesting that either. We understand that truth does cut. It does offend. Listen, we live in an age where everybody's offended at everything. How I many you know I'm telling the truth? Okay? Offended at everything. Everything. Uh, you, you like Fords. Someone else doesn't. You like cars or trucks. Someone else doesn't. They want motorcycles. They're going to be offended at everything. You can do anything. You'll be offended. We live in the most offended age <laughs> that I know of, at least, uh, my short 38 years on earth. But we know this, that truth does cut and it does offend. It does. It does. But by the way, that's part of what the word should do. The Bible calls itself a sword. What does a sword do? It cuts. It does. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even. The dividing asunder of soul and spirits and the joints of morrow and is the cern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Look, it does pierce. It does, it does cut. But understand something. Our spirit that presents the truth should not be what cuts or what offends. I had this conversation with a friend of mine just recently and about presenting the truth in love and not out of a place of hurt or anger and calling it God's work. Look, that's, that's, not, that's not right. So Paul, he's being tender. He's giving them the truth, absolutely. But he's coming from a right spirit, right perspective, from a right motive and right heart. Again, giving the truth in love. Here's what Paul says to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 11, verse, uh, chapter 4, rather, verse 11 through 15, in the context of talking about the, the gifts of the church with the apostles, uh, the pastors, evangelists, teachers, those kind of things, right? He's talking about those gifts to the church. But he says this, that they should be speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So, Give the truth by all means, but make sure it's from the right spirit, the spirit of love. This is exactly what Paul is doing, especially as he looks at them, or rather writes to them and says, my little children. This proves again his love for them, his delicate spirit towards them, his affection towards them. So you can see his affection in a good way towards them in verse number, verse number 19 when it says, my little children. But you can also see his love and care and affection toward them in verse number 20. Look at it again. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of, of you. Now we know that this letter to the Galatians here, it has some stern language. It's really full of thunder and it's uncompromising. It's all the truth. And when you read this letter, that's exactly what you see. Thundering, uncompromising truth. But do you know what you don't see when you read this letter? You don't see or hear the tone of Paul. You don't see or hear the posture of Paul. You can't see his facial, uh, facial expressions. You can't see the tears uh, when he would cry over, no doubt, these dear people and dear churches. Remember when he talked about all those perils he had? At the very end of it all, he says, And that what comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He cared deeply for them. They couldn't hear that tone or see those tears. They couldn't see that. They could see the uncompromising truth as they read it, but they couldn't tell the tone and the love behind the pen that no doubt he was trying to get across, across to them. 
How many of you, you text your husband or wife or, or, or family member or friend or whatever, you send them a text and they perceive it in the wrong tone because you can't see a tone in a text. Anybody know what I'm talking about, all right? Uh, that's kind of what we're seeing here. That's kind of what we're seeing in verse number 20. They can't see his tone, but he's trying to get across to them. It comes from the right place. It comes from a place of love and delicate spirit, kindness to them. Paul wished with all his heart, all his heart, he could be with them in this moment so they could see, not just hear the care, not just hear the words, but see it as well. He wished they could see his care for them like a lion protecting her cubs from the wolves. Listen, though they were giving in to false teachings from his false teachers, Paul still had a delicate spirit. He was stern, yeah, oh yeah. Stern with them because it's truth that was at stake. It's the gospel that was at stake, but he was kind with them. Delicate spirit he had that proved his affection to them. So what else do we see that proves his affection? All right, not only delicate spirit. Number two, I want to see this quickly. Verse number 19, look at it with me again. My little children of whom I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. So we see is proved through the stress that he has over them. Uh, here when it says of whom I travail and birth again, Paul was comparing the pain he has suffered uh, to get the gospel to them with the pain of childbirth. Now, some folks may think, and maybe even ladies may think, what does Paul, being a man, know anything about the pains of childbearing? Well, being a man, probably nothing. <laughs> but I have to ask that or answer that question with a question, all right? What do we know about the pains of being an apostle to the Gentiles? What do we know about the pains that he suffered? The turmoil that he went through and the agony he endured to take the gospel to these pagan lands that were so antagonistic to him and persecuted him every city he went to and put him in prison. How do we know the pain that he literally went through? So no wonder he compared the pain. He, no doubt, maybe he's seen that in his years as he, as he has been with uh, disciples and, and other people in and, and the churches and they had children and he knows about that pain. And look, that's the kind of pain he suffered. Bringing them the gospel the first time, he suffered a lot. So I'd say he'd be pretty safe. He knows what real pain would be like. So Paul, he travailed in birth once when he first brought the gospel to the beloved Galatians as they came to faith in Christ. But now he says this in verse number 19. Again, look at it with me. My little children of whom I travail in birth again. So Paul had traveled in birth or travailed in birth once when he brought the gospel the first time, but now he has to travail in birth again, not to bring them into faith, but rather bring them into maturity. He is going to fight. He is going to work. He is going to suffer if need be to get them into maturity and to stand and defend the gospel from these Judaizers, from these false teachers. And it was going to take a lot of work, a lot of fighting, and a lot of pain. And his words travail again. So why would you do that if you didn't care? Why would you do that if you didn't love these dear people? So his affection, his tenderness, his kindness, it should be seen through the distress he has for them. And then we should see it in this lastly and quickly, in the desire he has for them as well. Now, the desire that the Judaizers had were quite different. As you compare to the, Paul to the Judaizers, all right, back and forth, back and forth, it's a lot different. It's night and day difference. 
And the desire that the Judaizers would have had was completely different from Paul. The Judaizers, their desire was to make the Galatians, well, more like them, more like the Judaizers, that is. Uh, they wanted to make them into their image. They wanted to win them over to their party. Look at verse 17. They, talking about the Judaizers, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. And the Bible says that, you might, that, that ye might affect them, them, they, them. It's all about them. They wanted to exclude, or the Bible says there, or shut out the truth, to exclude Jesus, to exclude the truth, to shut out the gospel. Why? Because for the Judaizers, it wasn't about the gospel. It wasn't about the truth. Rather, it was about them. It's all about these false teachers and the gathering that they could get to themselves. And by the way, again, this is a mark of a false teacher. In 2 Peter 2, verse 1 through 3, he teaches us that. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you." whose judgment now a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So their desire, understand the Judaizers' desire was to bring them over to their side, the Galatians, bring the Galatians over to their side for their benefit, for their profit, the profit of the Judaizers. This was their desire, but what was Paul's? What was Paul's desire? Well, it was simply this. Look at verse 17, or I'm sorry, verse 19 again. My little children of whom I travail in birth again, here it is, until Christ be formed in you. Until Christ be formed in you. This, this phrase here, be formed, is in the Greek word uh, morphu. And it's where we get our word morph from. And morph means simply this. It means to be formed into an image of or to be transformed. So as Paul is writing to them in this moment, he didn't want them just to be a little like Christ. All right? He didn't want them just to be, you know, be, be good a little, little bit. Uh, be a little bit like Jesus, you know, and, and dress up nice and, and go to church nice and learn Christianese, you know, and be like that and, and know how to speak decent and better than you have in your pagan days. No, that's not what he's saying. He didn't want them to just be a little bit like, like Jesus. Paul's desire was not for them to be a little godly or just a little better than they once were. Paul's desire here is a complete transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. He was not suggesting exchanging of some pagan religion or philosophy for in favor of Christianity. Rather, desiring a complete, complete new life for these believers. And that new life is found in Jesus Christ, found there. And Jesus changing them completely from the inside out, changing their thinking to changing their behavior. It changed them until their mind and life would be in complete harmony with the mind and life of Christ. That's what Paul's desire is. For them to be completely like Jesus. Not just a little bit. Not just a little bit better than the other person down the road. Not just a little bit better than that pagan next door neighbor. Not just a little bit better than the Judaizers. No, to be completely like Jesus. Till Christ be formed in you. That's his desire. Complete transformation to be like Jesus Christ, till Christ be formed in you. To everything about you looks and sounds like Jesus. Everything. Now, 
we're all on that sanctification path and process, all right? When you get saved, you're not automatically looking like everything like Jesus, okay? No, sanctification is a lifelong process that you're not going to be completed until you get to heaven. But it's Paul's desire to see these believers mature, to be more every day like Jesus Christ. But how does this happen? How do we become more like Christ? How how can we see Christ be formed in us? Well, here it is. Here's how we become more like Jesus each and every day. Right here. It's this book, the Bible. The Bible changes our life. So, So again, this is why the truth is so important. This is why the Bible matters. Because the Bible, the truth, changes us, transforms us more into the image of God's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in John 17, 17, Jesus praying in there in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the real Lord's Prayer, uh, the high priestly prayer. In John 17, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. How, how are they going to get set apart? How are they going to become more like Christ? How are they become more holy? It's through the word of God. That's how. So Christ be formed in you. How's that going to happen? The Bible. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. Don't be, don't be molded into the image of this world like you take Play-Doh and make an image out of it. That's what it's saying here. It's saying here. Uh, don't be conformed into the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And how is our mind transformed? How is, how is our mind renewed? How, is, how we do that is through the Bible, the truth of the Word of God. That's how. It's all about the Bible. It's all about the truth. So this is why Paul is so stirred up to write this letter to the Galatians because they're being led astray from the truth. They're being, they're being taught a bed of lies and, and falsified gospel. And so that's why he's so stirred up to stir their minds for the truth and so stirred up to write about the truth and so stirred up to defend the truth because the truth matters. Remember, if we believe wrong, then we will think wrong. And if we think wrong, we're going to behave wrong. Therefore, we have to think correctly. And how do we do that? Through the Bible, the truth. So this is why they needed the truth. This is why we need the truth. And this is why Paul was writing this letter. So they would know the truth. The truth would change them. And they'd be more changed into the image of Christ till Christ be formed in you. This was Paul's desire. That they'd be more like Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you a loaded question. All right? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to be more like the Lord? As a child of God, we should want to be more like our loving Lord. We should. And to be more like Christ, to grow in our walk with the Lord, we must be in the Bible. We must read it. We must learn it. We must live it. We must obey it. That's the only way. To have the image of Christ. As he said, look here in verse number 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth and again until Christ be formed in you. How's it happen? Let the Bible change you. Let the Bible clean you up. It's, it, it talks about the washing of the water by the word. Let it clean you up. Let it change you from inside out. It will. 
If we read it, learn it, live it, obey it. If we obey it. So that's what Paul's trying to get at here. To the Galatians, truth matters. And uh, he's defending the truth. He's defending the gospel. And he's letting them know, look, it all comes from a good place. He has a delicate spirit, a great, a good affection for them. It comes from a delicate spirit. You can see that in his attitude towards, towards them. Uh, you can see it, again, in his desire that he wants them to be more like Christ, not more like Paul, more like Christ. That's what he wants. So I'll encourage you again this evening, get in the Bible, let the Bible get in you, and let it change your life. It will. If you 